Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I'm going to talk to you today about the new birth because the book of Exodus models the Christian life. It, is a, it, it contains the basic elements. As you watch the Lord work with the nation of Israel, you are seeing him do those fundamental elements that he does in the Christian life. It's a model to us. We learn from it about how he works with us. It starts, of course, in slavery. And that's the thing we will look at today is the new birth and how, what the Lord sets us free and how he sets us free, how fundamental that is. If you have a Bible, go with me to Exodus chapter 13. I want to show you a key verse here. This takes place uh, after they have been just, just gone out of Egypt. Uh, the plagues have taken place, the uh, Passover meal, all of that. And it says, now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go, verse 17, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. It's only about two weeks trip on foot to go from Egypt up to Israel. And you can go by the way of the Philistines. That's right up the coast. Now, lovely Mediterranean climate. You just walk up the coast and there you are. Only there happened to be a, a nation of fierce uh, warriors uh, called the Philistines in between you and your landing spot. And it says the Lord did not lead them directly up. But what did he do? He took them out in the wilderness to work on their hearts. I want to suggest to you that the, the, th the reason we're doing the book of Exodus is because many people can become Christians but still remain slaves in the way we think, still remain in bondage and not free to possess the promises that God has for us. The promises he has are wonderful promises, but it requires faith. It requires a boldness. A person has to move from a slave to a warrior to possess the promises that God wants to do in your life and in mine. And so I think the Lord wants to, to, to do some faith building, grow us and, and free us from some things so that you and I can enter into what God has for us. When he took them out by way of the wilderness, he led them into one situation after another where they needed a miracle, and they, they, they got it. Becoming free is a process, not an event, because real freedom is an attitude of the heart. It wasn't enough for God to physically release the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He also had to work on their attitudes until they had the courage to possess the promised land. He trained them until they thought and acted like free people, not escaped slaves. The world is full of forces that attempt to put us in bondage, but God's plan for each of us is to be free, truly free, free to serve him and fulfill our purpose in life. Yet this kind of freedom doesn't come cheaply. It requires miracles from God and our learning to walk in faith. Exodus lets us watch as God transforms a crowd of slaves into a nation of warriors. It gives us hope that we too can step out of bondage and possess our promises. After all, it was God's faithful leadership that turned the people of the Exodus into victorious conquerors, not their own spiritual maturity. And it's still God's faithful leadership that frees us as well. That's one of the most encouraging things, is you see God powerfully lay hold of these people. It's not their good sense that gets them into the promised land. It's not their good sense that grows them. It's a Heavenly Father's hand on their life that, that insists on their growth. Aren't you grateful that you have a Heavenly Father's hand on your life that insists on your growth and that it's not up to you and your good sense? How many say, yes, I'd be in trouble if it was up to my good sense. 
Me too. Amen. So that's, the, that's why we're going into the Exodus. And I say the Exodus because it's not just the book of Exodus. There will be poor portions that I skip or I go through very quickly. Uh, we're going to simply take the story of the Exodus and follow that on through. But today, I want to look at something that has very much to do with the Exodus. But I, it's, I want to not take a passage from Exodus. I just want to talk to you today about the new birth. At the men's retreat, I discussed this subject. And I read to him a little bit out of a book by R.A. Torrey on the whole idea of the new birth. I think it's so important, so foundational, that I'd like to have it explained to all of us. I need to hear it again. I'm trying to really get a hold and understand the things I'm telling you today. We need to understand what happens to us when we're born again. What happens when we're born again? What is this new birth? Because the Bible says we're taken out of slavery and become a nation of free people. Father, would you come today and would you open our understanding and our heart to this truth? Would you make it live to us? Would you give me grace and strength to speak it so we can hear it? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Today, let's look more deeply at the new birth and how God sets us free from slavery to the devil. First, let's remember how God made us, how he formed us. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27 says that God did what? He made man in his own image. Now, that doesn't mean you look like God. You have the facial features of God. When you see him, you go, whoa, you look like me. You say, no, you look like me. That's not the point. It's that you are in his image. You have fundamental elements in you that are in God. So that you can relate to God one person to another. We can literally, personally relate to God. Now, it's, it's, it's not simply God somehow relating to his little creation like, a, like a, an owner relates to their pet. Uh, I can relate to my beagle. Um, it goes something like this. She comes in and she nudges me. And uh, I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she nudges. And then she has this deal where she puts this cold, wet nose on my hand or any exposed skin. And it's like, oh, you know. And then, all right. And I begin to pet her, her ears and all of this. And she sits there. And, and then if I stop, we get the cold, wet nose again. And, and I will talk to her. There is dialogue. Stop that. But that is not how God relates to us. It's not like an owner with his pet. It's like two friends. It's two persons talking to one another. You've been made in God's image. And what does that entail? It means you have a mind. You're able to understand knowledge, to think. You have a heart. You have affections, you love things and hate things. You have a will, and you're able to choose, make choices over things. Now, the mind and the heart and the will aren't the same thing. You, know, you can know something is right, and yet choose to do something else. You can fully understand that what you're doing is crazy, but you still do it. Or there's things that I can know are wrong, and I love them. I know it's wrong, but I love this. Isn't it funny? My affections and my will and my mind are three different entities in some form and work differently within me. Now, I want to talk then about what happens to you when you're born again. First of all, we are all born into this world with a corrupt nature, corrupt in its thoughts, in our mind, corrupt in our affections, our, our heart, and corrupt in our will. Let me just, I might as well read to you, Tori says it better than I, why bother with me? He says, first of all, every one of us, no matter how fine our ancestry or how pious our parents, are born into this world with a mind that is blind to the truth of God. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 2.14, 
The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. When you are born into this world, you, you come into the world with a mind that cannot understand spiritual things. They make no sense. They seem silly. They seem foolish. Now, some of you probably can remember when you were not saved. And you can remember how, how, how dull the Bible seemed to you. It was, it was the dullest book in the world. You may have had one somewhere and you'd go blow the dust off it and pull that thing out and look at it and go, why do people read this? It made no sense. There was no, no, no life to it. Some of you have family that when you try to explain the gospel to them, they think you're silly. The idea that a Jewish carpenter died on a cross, a Roman cross, and somehow that that forgives our sins is laughable to them. They can't believe you believe that. It makes no sense to their minds. How many say, I've seen it, I remember it? Yeah. The human is born into the world with a mind that cannot comprehend the things of God. You cannot. Now keep that in mind, will you? When you're thinking about your family members and friends, the people you work with, people you go to school with, we keep expecting them to understand these things. And some of us take the approach of just blasting them with this spiritual truth, and then when they don't, we just kind of, you know, give them the old... <laughs> well, if they don't understand, it, of course they don't understand. You can't understand without a miracle. They're born dead. Their minds are closed off. Secondly, I will get to the solution. Secondly, listen to what he says. In the, we are all born into this world with affections that are corrupt. That is, with affections set on things that displease God. We, ought, we love things we ought to hate. And we hate things we ought to love. Think back as an unbeliever. What were the things you really loved? Gambling? Drinking? Sex? I mean, sex outside of marriage. Some of you still love sex, and I hope so. But something impure. Remember the things you loved. How many, when you weren't a Christian, thought there was nothing more fun than going to church? <laughs> or, or reading, or, 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 or worshiping. You know, isn't worship fun when you're not a Christian? I, I get these notes, you know, we get those response forms, and people do use them, and, and I, I get these notes once in a while, and one of the comments that occurs just every so often is, how come you people sing those songs over and over again? You know, sing them once and get it off, over with. But why do you think we do that? I mean, why did we go, thank you, oh my father, a couple times. And what's our problem? We sang it once, you've done it, now stop. Why do we do that? They're not enjoying it. They don't love it. Why does a born-again person love things differently? Now that you're a Christian, do you like to pray? Do you like to worship? Do you like to hear the Word of God taught? But you sure didn't before. Why? Because you couldn't understand it and your heart was set entirely against God. It was set on, you loved things you, you should have hated. And you hated things. You should have loved, but you couldn't help it. You were born that way. We're born dead. We're born dead. And thirdly, we are all born into the world with a will that is perverse. As Paul puts it in Romans 8, a mind, the mind of the flesh is, is at enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. We're all born into the world with a will that's perverse, a will set upon pleasing self and not upon pleasing God. 
Now, what pleases self may not be something corrupt or criminal or vile or immoral. What pleases us may be something refined, something of high character. It may not be getting drunk or stealing or lying or committing adultery or doing any evil or vile or base thing. It may be culture or music or art or some other high refined thing. But pleasing self is the very essence of sin. Whether the thing that pleases self is something high or something low. Any will set upon pleasing self is a will in rebellion against God. It is enmity against God. There's only one right attitude for the human will. And that's an attitude of absolute surrender to God. And the whole aim of life should not be to please self at all, but to please God in all things. When you're born into the world, you're self-centered. Everything's about you. What pleases you? What advances you? What promotes you? What makes you look good? What feels good? What gives you pleasure? It's all about you. One man uh, confronted Tory at some service he was holding, and he was a well-dressed man, and he was a very respected man in the community. Uh, I think he was very moral, well-married, happy, good family, gave a lot to the community, and he said, Tory, what do you have against me? You know, in other words, how dare you say I'm a sinner? And Tory looked at him and he said, Sir, I charge you with treason against the high king of heaven. Do you know the essence of sin is that you and I have tried to live our lives without our maker. God created you. God gave you life. God sent his son to die for you. God has reached out to you. God has called you to believe. And you and I have the gall to try to live our lives without him. You ever heard people say, well, some of you Christians, you seem to need this stuff, and that's fine for you, but I'm doing fine without him. And they think that that's somehow an explanation that they don't need Christianity. What they've just told you is, I'm a rebel. I'm proud and rebellious against my maker. I don't think I even need him in my life. You may be the most moral man in town. You may be the most dignified person. You may mow your lawn every week. <laughs> there may not be a dirty dish in the sink. And you think, I'm doing fine, paying my bills. I, do, I don't break the law, I drive the speed limit. What do you have against me? Only this, that you're defying your maker. You're treasonous to your king. There's only one proper response, to bow our knee to our maker. And to choose to live for him. Our will is self-centered. Our will has got to change. And that takes a miracle. I want to show you a text. If you'll turn with me in, to John chapter 3. Jesus is speaking to one of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 in Israel, who, who led the religious life of the nation. His name is Nicodemus, and he's a good man, but he's afraid to meet Jesus in public where anyone can see him, so he's come at nighttime secretly to talk to him. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now that's indicating Nicodemus has integrity. He's fundamentally an integrous man. He's honest to the facts he's observing. I say that because some of the religious leaders would watch Jesus casting devils out of the demonized and healing the sick, and they would say, that man has a demon. They would watch that kind of redemptive work sense the power of the Holy Spirit and declare it to be demonic. Jesus said to them, by the way, you can blaspheme me all you want, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it'll not be forgiven you in this life or the next. In other words, you so harden your heart. You are so 
uh, dishonest within you, that something is damaged that can't be repaired. Don't do that. You may not want to receive me, but don't lie to yourself and violate the clear witness of the Holy Spirit. Well, Nicodemus is not that kind of ruler. He's come at night and he says, it's clear you're from God. Nobody could do what you do except you're probably the Messiah. And Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Without a miraculous new birth, you cannot even comprehend spiritual truth. It takes a revelation, a miracle in the human heart. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that would mean repentance, the baptism of John, and of the Spirit, this miracle new birth he speaks of, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You're not part of it. You can't even see it or comprehend what it is without a miracle. That which is born of the flesh, a human baby born into the world, is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed, I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. But you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone born of the spirit. When you watch a tree in the wind, you see the branches moving. You see the leaves fluttering. You see a force acting on that tree but you can't see the force. You don't see wind, you see the effect of wind. You see what wind does, and he says a person who's born again is under the influence of an invisible force, like wind is on trees. A person is somehow now empowered, being moved about, being changed by a force you can't see with your eye, but a very real force. So is the person who's born again. Except a man be born again, he can't even see. He can't enter the kingdom of God. Something has to happen that's miraculous. Well, let's look at what does happen when we are born again. Well, foundationally, what's happened is we are literally given a new nature. God goes into us and miraculously transforms. It's not something we earn. It's not something we just learn. It's not something we achieve. It's not something we figure out. God goes into you and changes your insides. He changes your thinking. He changes your heart. And he changes your will by his power. It's a work God does in us. First of all, we're all given a new mind. Instead of being blind to the truth of God, we are open-eyed to the truth of God. When you got saved, all of a sudden, the Bible became a new book. I've watched people who get saved sit down and read this thing cover to cover. I've watched people sit in rooms for, <laughs> for hours and days, just taken with what was once the dullest book in the world to them. Tori said, before I got saved, I'd rather have read last year's almanac than the Bible. It was just awful to me. But once you're saved, suddenly, it doesn't mean you understand everything you read. Certainly, we can spend a lifetime studying and learning this thing. But suddenly, I have a reverence for it. Suddenly, things jump off the page. Suddenly, it begins to speak to my heart. Suddenly, I have no trouble believing the miracles I'm seeing. I believe that's why you have so many theologians trying to take the miracles out of the Bible is they are people who are not regenerate, who are studying religion. A regenerated man or woman comes to this and they've had such a miracle go on in their life. <laughs> like, no problem. Walked on water, cool. <laughs> it's just not an issue. But the unregenerate, who may be enormously religious, just can't comprehend it. It's foolishness, and they're trying to make the thing palatable to the unbelieving mind. 
when you became born again, the Holy Spirit began revealing spiritual truth to you. Through the Word, speaking to you, all of a sudden you have a sense that God spoke to me. The lights are on. There's something awake now. Something's been removed from my mind, and we'll see what that is a little bit later. And you'll also notice this, that the, that the truth of Jesus Christ, the idea that the Son of God came to the world, that he died on the cross for my sins once for all, the just for the unjust, you just believe it, you just know. How many today say, I don't know how I know, I can't prove it, but I just know God sent his son to die for my sins. It's not a... How did you come to that knowledge? Why are you so sure of yourself? A miracle has happened. The veil's been taken away. And you see spiritual things you did not see before. Secondly, we're all given not only a new mind, but a new affection, a new heart. We get new tastes instead of the old tastes, new loves instead of the old loves. Instead of loving any longer the things that displease God, we now love the things that do please God. The things we once hated, we now love. The things we once loved, we now hate. And he says, in my own life, he said, I used to love the card table and the theater and the dance and the horse race and the champagne supper. And he said, I hated prayer meetings and Sunday services. He said, today I hate the dance and the card table and the theater and the horse race. And I love the gathering together of the Lord's people and the services of God's house on the Lord's day. How many like worshiping and gathering with God's people? I mean, it's your joy. Do you have family members that can't comprehend what is your problem? That think you're crazy? What's wrong with you? And maybe they think you've you got to be in a cult. Or, or you've got to be somehow, some, they try to psychoanalyze you and figure what's your problem. Why do you like worshiping? Why are you praying all the time? You're giving how much of your income? <laughs> Haven't you seen the people on TV? Why do you do that? All of a sudden, you love the people of God. You love to worship. You love hearing about people getting saved. You love what the mission field's doing. You love to see the work of God go forward. And a lot of the things that, you, that, 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 that people are trying to invite you to go to say, oh, come on, have some fun. You look at it and you go, fun? That isn't fun to me. It's dirty and ugly and addicting. It's not fun anymore to me. You're not even trying. It's not, not self-righteous. It's not, it's not, they often think, oh, you guys, you just want to do the same stuff we're doing. You just don't, you're just feeling guilty. <laughs> Isn't that how they play it? Yeah, we all have sight. We're just prudes and psychologically hung up. We just all long to do what they're doing. Nothing like a good case of STDs. That's just wonderful. They can't comprehend the joy of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They can't understand why you weep when the Lord's presence is on you. They're blind to it. You are miraculously changed. And not only do we have a new mind or a new heart, we're also given a new will. When one is born again, his will is no longer set on pleasing self. His will is set upon pleasing God. There's nothing else in which he so delights as he delights in the will of God. What he himself desires is nothing to him. What pleases God is everything. How many today say, above all things, I long to please the Lord. I really do. I want to serve him. I want my life to count for him. I've had businessmen come to me and say, I've had salesmen come and say, Pastor, this, this is almost dangerous. I'm losing my drive. I have a hard time. I can't lie to my customers anymore. That's affecting my, my, my salesmanship. 
Um, I, I don't have the same ambition, the same drive. I want to be home with my children for a change. I want to be, I, I want to love my wife. And this thing is a problem to me. Where did my drive go? To hell. Now that doesn't mean you can't be a good salesman. But you sell for a very different reason now. You sell now as an act of service to people. You walk in and you see some little old lady and you know you have skills to take her money, but you're not about to do it because she needs... You're going to be careful. If your product doesn't meet her need, you're not going to even sell it to her. you say, no, ma'am, you, should, you don't need this today, but you have a wonderful day. What happened to you? Some, some people say, well, I want, to, I want to go to the mission field. Just, talk to, just in the greeting time, I talked to somebody, their daughter's off to the mission field. How many have family members who say, you're crazy. Don't you know they make no money? Why would you want to go into the ministry, you idiot? You're all going to starve. People who don't have the new birth look at you and think you're insane. And yet your passion now is to live for God. To serve him, to see people brought to him. You don't even know how that happened to you. It's just your heart's different. You're born again. Born from above. A miracle's happened. Let me make another distinction. This is, again, from, from Tory. He says, let's, the distinction between conversion and regeneration. He says, conversion is an outward thing. It means merely turning around. When one is, one is faced one way, faced away from God, he turns around and faces the other way, he faces toward God. A man may be converted a hundred times, but he cannot be born again but once. There is situations where people orient themselves toward God. They used to be going one way, now I say, I'm going to, be, I'm going to live a Christian life. I'm going to get it right this time. I'm going to get my act together. And that's not a bad motivation, for heaven's sakes. People who don't want to get their act together, that's not positive. But I think the American church is filled with people who think of themselves as Christians, who attend church, who have basically decent lives, but who are not born again. There are a lot of hands that go up and indicate, uh, I'm voting for Jesus tonight. Kind of like, yeah, I'll go with that. But when you deal with the person their life just sort of continues on without a transformation. Neither the mind, the heart, nor the will show a transformation. Now, a person with a transformed heart, mind, and will aren't perfect. It's not like you're suddenly sinless. It's not like you have no addictions that you still have to deal with. It's not like you don't have to learn to bring your temper into obedience and manage the flesh and bring it into submission to Christ. But still, a born-again person has a deep, fundamental change. He says, a man may be converted, kind of given this, I'm, I'm going to give this a new try approach, a hundred times, but he can't be born again but once. Regeneration is different from conversion. Regeneration goes down to the very depths of the human heart and spirit. It's a radical transformation of the innermost man, an impartation of life, and the impartation of a whole new nature. You're different. Lasting conversion, then, is the result of inward regeneration. You can have someone who goes to church a lot, but frankly, they're still a thief in their business. They're abusive to their family. They're loveless and selfish. They're dishonest in the way they handle personal finance. And yet they go to church and sometimes end up in leadership in churches. They're converted in some form, but they're not regenerate. If a person keeps raising their hand and keeps just living the old way, you can tell it, you can sense it, you can just see it. On the other hand, you can have a derelict walk in. Someone who has just had a dreadful life, has got a history like Jesse James. And they get born again. 
And there's stuff to walk out of, and there's a lot of things to clean up, and there's a lot of issues that have to be addressed. But you can just tell they love the Lord. You can tell they want to serve Him. They're try they want their life right. There's a passion in them. And it doesn't change. And as the years go by, you watch that person rise and serve the Lord powerfully. There's a difference. A really born-again man or woman doesn't get converted over and over again. They're changed. Listen to St. John in chapter 1. This is such a powerful passage. First chapter of the Gospel of John. Verse 9. He says, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus is the light. He's the revelation of God. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. This Jesus Christ made the world and came into the world as a man. And the world didn't know him, didn't receive him, because we're born into darkness. He came into his own, and his own who were, and those who were his own did not receive him, meaning the nation of Israel. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, human birth, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but they were born of God. We become children of God by being born of God. Let's just take a little assessment for a minute. How about you? Does the gospel make sense to you? The idea that the Son of God became a man, in fact, a Jewish carpenter son. And he died on a cross, and in doing that, paid for the sins of the world once for all, rose from the dead and is at the right hand of the Father. Is that nonsense to you, foolishness to you? I mean, you may know that story as well as I do, but do you believe it? Knowing it and believing it, knowing it and receiving it, knowing it and trusting it are two very different things. How many say, I know I believe it? You couldn't do that without a miracle. How many would say, I love things I once hated, and I hate things I once loved? I love to worship the Lord. I love to talk to Him. I love understanding His Word. I love being His and being with Him and being with the people of God. I don't know why, but I do. And I hate some of the junk I used to be in. I wouldn't go back to it for anything. How many would say, that's me. Your heart got changed by a miracle. You may not be perfect. You may still be fighting addictions. You may still have all sorts of stuff to process. I think we all do. But your heart's different and you know it. How many would say, I long to please the Lord and serve him. That's really my passion. It's the thing I want. I, 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 I'm just... I have to go to work. I got all kinds of stuff I have to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that unto the Lord. But my, my heart in that everything I do, I want to give glory to Jesus. I want people to know the Lord. I want to serve him and live for him. That's my passion. How many would say that's true of my heart? You're born again. It can't happen otherwise. People that aren't born again don't feel like that. In fact, they don't even like people that feel like that. <laughs> do they? <laughs> All right, then, what do we do? We've got family and friends. We've got neighbors. Some of us may be living with people that, if truth be known, do not appear to be born again. They're religious. They're not born again. They're good people. They're not born again. Step number one, and I'll say this quickly. We must pray 
Would you turn with me to first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4? This is a very important passage. I'd like you to see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, in other words, hidden with a cover, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, who's that? Yes, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The devil has literally blinded the mind. Why are we born into this world? Well, we've fallen into, the, into slavery. Now we're back to the book of Exodus. We've, the human race are also slaves. And you have to get a hold of that. You've got to see that. When you're, when you're dealing with unbelievers, you've got to understand they're in slavery. You've got to quit asking them, just sort of get your act together. What's your problem? We're sort of blasting them with some little gospel message, you know, and figuring, why can't you understand this? And dismissing them out of hand. Folks, we keep talking to people in chains. They're blinded. And it, where does it start then? It starts with prayer. You, Jesus says, when, I give you authority to trample under, tra tread underfoot serpents and scorpions. He's not talking about bugs. He's talking about demons. And he says, I've given you authority over the demonic world. My name has to be submitted to in every realm of existence. The demons will submit to my name when used with authority. And so you can begin to pray for the unbelieving. And you would pray, oh God, take that blindness away. That demonic power which clouds their mind to the gospel. In the name and authority of Christ, I see it broken and removed from them. Thank you, Lord, for giving them eyes to see and ears to hear. You would pray that as though it were releasing the person. That is the first thing, the most important thing you will do. Secondly, we must also speak in season. There comes a time where you have to say something. But notice I said there's a time. You let the Lord prepare the way. You let the Lord do his spiritual work. And then you'll have a leading of the Lord that says, now, go and speak. I don't have time to tell stories, but I've seen this over and over again. I can think of, of ministering. I said I wouldn't tell a story, and I won't. This is just a synopsis of it. You're thinking, oh, here he goes. Standing at a kitchen sink, looking out a window. I've got a neighbor. I've been, I've been witnessing in that I've been a kind neighbor. I've, I've been, we've, we've, we've done uh, all, all sorts of friendly things, built a relationship, but I've, I've not sort of gone after this man with the gospel. He's out cutting roses in the backyard. I'm sitting there doing something to the kitchen sink. I look out and the Lord says, now, now go talk. Now? Now? And I go over and I say, would you mind if I talk to you about spiritual things? And he says, no, not at all. And right there over the fence, this old guy just receives Christ. Stunning. Just stunning. I couldn't have made that happen. But I can pray away the blindness and then I can respond and bring the word in season when the Lord speaks it. And thirdly, we must in all of this trust the Holy Spirit. I mean, underlying the tr word trust, really trust the Holy Spirit. Trust him to convict people of sin so they become aware they're a sinner. It's a miracle they even know they need a Savior. Not our condemning of them. The Holy Spirit's conviction. Righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, that he's the true Savior. There has to be a, an inward revelation of this truth. Trust the Holy Spirit to bring that revelation and of judgment. We work in total partnership with the Lord. Actively, aggressively, everything you do, say, Holy Spirit, I'm counting on you to do this miracle. Nobody can talk anybody into salvation. Nobody 
is so eloquent or cute or whatever that you can push anybody into the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit must do the miracle work or nothing will happen. Would you bow your heads with me? Is there anyone that as I've been going through this, you suddenly realize for the first time that you really believe in Jesus Christ. You may have been in church for years, but today you just know you believe. Today you know your heart wants to serve Jesus. Today you know you want to leave an old life and live a new one. You are going to love new things. You can just sense this is your day. I want to give you the opportunity right now. That's a miracle that's happening to you. The Holy Spirit's at work in you right now to bring you to that place. You mustn't take it for granted. It's a, it's a precious thing that's happened. And I want to give you just an opportunity to respond and seal it as it were. So if anybody needs to raise their hand this morning, say, Pastor, to me, today I know, today I know Jesus is my Savior. I just know it. Yes, praise God. Who else? You need this, this is your day. Yes, God bless you. The Holy Spirit's here right now. Yes, God bless you, sister. He's here and he's giving you that grace. Do not pass it up. Don't take it for granted. The Lord has opened your eyes. Praise God, yes, hallelujah. You see the Savior. Yes, brother, God be with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your, your wonderful miracle power. Thank you for causing men and women right now to be born again, to be given revelation, to be given new hearts, new wills to serve you, to be born from above. Does anybody else say, today I see the kingdom of God. This is, I, I got it. I can see the things of God. I want to serve him and live for him. I'm going to give just one more minute because the Lord is doing something powerful. Anyone else you need to say, I'm choosing today. Because you see, your will has to combine with your revelation. The Spirit of God's giving you the revelation at the moment, but you have a will that can still say, I know it's true, I just don't want it. And believe it or not, people do that because they count the cost and decide they don't want to pay the price. But you may have counted the cost and say, I'll pay that price. Today I choose to trust the Lord I know died for me. Today I choose to serve him. Today I choose to love him. I will follow him. Anyone else, you need to make that declaration with your hand in the air, just declaring it. Yes, praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Savior. Anyone else? I sense, and I'll just say this is my last, my last call, but I sense there's somebody, you're downright embarrassed because you've been in church a lot. But you know perfectly well you've been in church for all the wrong reasons for a long time. And the fact be known, you, you, you know you weren't born again by the description I've given. But today you know it's true. And you're almost embarrassed to raise your hand and say, that's me, I need to embrace him. I need to believe today. I kind of sense you're here. Do you need to raise your hand? Yes, God bless you. Is there anybody else who that, that's for you? That you're making your choice today? more hand all right church we're going to pray and those of you that raised your hand now you just mean this from your heart Lord is just going to seal you're sealing what's already become true to you pray with me if you would dear heavenly father thank you for Jesus Christ
today. I know he's your son. I know you sent him to earth. I know he died for me. With all my heart, I believe in him. And I thank you, Lord, that my sin is carried away from me, that I am forgiven because of you. Jesus Christ, I choose with a new will to serve you all of my life. Come now, take my life and use me for your glory. My greatest passion is to please you and to serve you. Now, would you put your hand on your heart, particularly those who've raised your hands, but anybody's invited to do this. Already the Holy Spirit's the one doing this miracle in you. He's already upon you, but I just want you to realize that in the new birth, the Spirit of God comes inside you. He joins himself to your very spirit and will never leave you for all eternity. And I just want you to, to acknowledge and receive him as it were and say, come into my heart. You're opening the door and saying, I want you, dear Holy Spirit, within me. Come and I'll just pray freely. Holy Spirit, we love you. You are our gift, our birthright. And we say to this, to this heart right now, open up and welcome the King of Kings. Welcome him into, a, into a, that place in my hearts. Dear Holy Spirit, come with your power. Come with your conviction. Come with your healing. Come with your wisdom. Come with your strength. For without you, we can do nothing. But with you, we can do all things. Come now and be our strength. Our mind, our will, our heart, we give it all to you. Thank you that you will never leave us and that you will bring the sweetness of Jesus Christ and his very person and presence to us. Every moment of the day, we'll never be alone again. We'll never be alone again. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And if you pray that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.